Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Alex. If I don't know you, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we can bring the lights up. I don't know, unless you guys want the mood lighting. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I'm really glad college football is back in season. Everybody excited? Okay. Yeah, it depends if you live in this state. You have a love-hate relationship with all of your teams. It's really exciting to see so many of you show up on Sundays now with Lions gear. In the last five years, I've never seen you wear Lions gear. But now all of a sudden you are. So good for you. Uh, but no, college football is one of those things. It's an entertainment value, right? It's something that just, it's like a movie. You've got suspense. You've got action. You've got all sorts of different storylines to be able to follow. And it's just an entertaining thing to enjoy with your family, maybe enjoy it with friends. And it definitely consumes most of our Saturdays in the fall. Um, and there's something going on right now in college football. Uh, if you follow college football at all, you probably are aware of this. But there's a team, a program out there that's getting all sorts of hype and attention. Anybody want to guess what team that is? Cholera. Good job. Nobody said Michigan State. Oh. Uh, we won't talk about that today. Um, but uh, no, everybody's talking about Colorado, right? You've got this new coach who just with every possible opportunity that he's given, he's making some kind of bold statement, right? Then you've got all the sportscasters who are all saying either agreeing with him or they're contradicting him. Then you've got other coaches who are trying to say different things. And then you've got their actual play where they're actually going out and having some pretty spectacular moments and things like that. And uh, I had heard and seen a bunch of things online over the last couple weeks. And uh, I was like, you know what, tonight I'm gonna watch the game. Uh, now, hopefully you weren't like me and watched the entire game because it started at 10. Um, I'm gonna go home and have a nap later today. But I wanted to watch the game because I wanted to see what all the hype was really about. Is this team actually worth it? Is this team actually good? Or is everything just all talk? Is everything just all, you know, exaggerated and just more of a spectacle? And I tell you, after watching the first half, uh, and then I went to bed after that first half, I was like, oh yeah, they totally got showed up. They're not really who they say that they were. They're not really as great as everybody was saying. And then I woke up this morning and I saw on my phone and I saw all the highlight reels, second overtime, how they came back and won and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, well, maybe they have a little bit of, you know, moxie to them and they can actually compete in this, in this uh, realm. And I think all of us do something like that with different things in our life, right? We hear about something, we see something, and we kind of say, you know what? I don't really know much about that. I want to go and I want to investigate. I want to figure out if this thing is actually real, right? Uh, professional marketing companies, this is what they rely on. They want to create the need. They want to create the sensation within you that you want to investigate and figure out, do I really want to buy this product? Do I really want to engage in this thing or that thing, right? All of us have had that experience where you're shopping for something online and then all of a sudden you go to Facebook or Instagram and now you're seeing ads for the very thing that you were shopping for, right? That happened to me yesterday. I was shopping for a deer blind. Guess what? All I see now on my social media is deer blinds. It's a great thing. Um, but it's just the reality where we live. Uh, it's the culture that we live in. Everybody's always trying to sell something. And then you and I have the decision, am I going to pursue it? Am I going to engage in it? Am I going to look in a little bit closer to see if this thing is really worth it? Some of you right now in this room, you're here this morning 
because you have that same question. Is Jesus really real? All the things I've heard people say about him, all the things I see that people post about Jesus or about following Christ or about church, I want to know if it's actually real. And I want to show up. And I want to see if what I hear other people talking about, if that's actually legit. Is it actually real? Last couple of weeks, we've been encouraging you guys just to write prayer requests down on those uh, Connect cards. And uh, we pray for those every Monday. And one of the cards that we had recently said, pray that I continue to have the desire to come to church and hear about Jesus. So if you are a follower of Jesus and you're here this morning, I want to encourage you to recognize this. There are people around you right now in this room who they don't follow Jesus. They want to see if he's actually real. They're looking at us, but they're really looking at you. How you treat them, how you smile at them, how you say hi to them, how you engage with them, how you operate and live your own life. There's a world that's always watching because people want to know, is Jesus actually real? And is he worth it? So we started this new sermon series last week. We're going through the gospel of Mark, uh, mainly like the first few parts of Jesus's ministry. Um, and we're in chapter three. And in chapter three of Mark, it's right at the beginning of his ministry where he's starting to go around, he's starting to uh, make some waves in society, he's starting to make some waves and people are talking about him and it's all word of mouth and everybody's starting to kind of say, hey, have you heard about this rabbi? Hey, have you heard about this guy from Nazareth? Hey, have you heard about this? Hey, did you see what he did? Do you know what he did? And so there's just all this buzz that's going on around this person, Jesus. And where we're going to pick up today is Jesus has an opportunity in a moment where people are there and they're trying to figure out who he really is. And because of all this, obviously, this word of mouth, they're just these large crowds that are constantly coming around them. And the disciples are constantly trying to figure out, like, how do we help Jesus? How do we keep him physically safe? How do we keep it to where we're not overrun or overwhelmed by the crowds of people that are trying to see who this Jesus is? And I don't know if you've ever seen the, the show Chosen, but that show does a really great job of kind of depicting the way that the disciples were trying to like, almost like micromanage Jesus to an extent to say, hey, no, you can't go there. Hey, don't go there. Hey, we can't do this over here. We got to keep you safe over here. Because everybody was talking about him. And in the gospel of Mark, what we see, Mark being the writer of the gospel, he's really focusing in on this idea or the reality of Jesus's kingdom. The kingdom of God is at hand. And that's kind of the theme of the sermon series is uh, his kingdom come and Jesus reigning over all things. And the question we have to ask ourselves, if Jesus really is king, if his kingdom really has come through him and he is still alive today and he is still reigning and ruling over us, what does that compel us to do in response? If Jesus is king, if he's reigning, are we com totally committed to him? Or another way to think about it is like our ultimate allegiance, right? Everybody's got college sports allegiance, right? Everybody roots for their team. Everybody wants to be on that team. But here, 
it's this opportunity, it's this reality of Jesus is calling to us saying, hey, give me your ultimate allegiance above anything, above everyone, and above all things. And that's what we're going to kind of wrestle with today. And we're going to see Jesus kind of uh, show us what should compel us towards that commitment towards him. So if you have your Bible, uh, turn with me to Mark chapter 3. And in Mark chapter 3, we're going to pick up down at verse 20. And we're going to be in verses 20 through 35. But before we jump into that, the way that Mark wrote, Mark was really smart. And if you compare all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Mark is always considered to be kind of the more emotive one, where he highlights a lot more emotion in the way that he retells what he saw Jesus do, what he heard Jesus say. And he really kind of highlights that a lot more. And he also highlights a lot more, like I've already said, about the kingdom of God and about the call to follow Jesus in your life. And some of the ways that he does it, though, is he likes to use some literary uh, techniques. And one of them, you can just, it's a very deep grammatical word. It's called sandwiching, okay? Everybody, you can feel really smart at the water cooler tomorrow. He likes to do sandwiches. Well, where he'll start on one thing, this is Mark, he'll start on one thing, and then he'll go and he'll bring something different that's still related to the first thing, but it's a different context and then he finishes by going back to that original thing. And that's what we see happen here in Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 35. He starts off and he's focusing on Jesus' family. And then he pauses and then he goes into talking about the scribes, the Pharisees. And then he goes back to talk about Jesus' family. But what we're going to do today, just so you guys are aware, we're going to start right there in the middle. So we're not actually starting at 20. We're going to start down at verse 22. Look with me. It will be on the screen. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Four, they were saying he has an unclean spirit. There's a lot here, and we're going to do our best. I'm going to do my best to try to help paint that picture for you and help you to kind of see um, what the challenge that Jesus is, is giving. And I'll just tell you what the challenge is at first. What Jesus is doing is he's challenging their religious assumptions, okay? Scribes were known um, as the experts in the law. They knew Torah, they knew the Jewish law in and out. They would evaluate individuals to make sure that they were actually following all the details of the law. They were sticklers for rules. They knew the rules inside and out. They could quote them, they knew them, and they would evaluate people. And then they would persecute and prosecute other Jews if they weren't completely following the law. And these scribes 
they went there not with a desire necessarily to learn more about Jesus, but they probably went with this desire to say, hey, we need to catch him and we need to call him out. If you're familiar with the story of Jesus and with his ministry, this happens all the time with him, where he's always challenged by religious leaders. Let's think about that for a moment. Jesus' main protagonists are not people who are far away from righteousness, are not people who are far away from the things of God. The main protagonists are people who know the word of God. They knew the Old Testament. They knew all the ins and outs. They knew all the details. They had all of these things. But for some reason, there was this battle. There was this contention that they had with Jesus. So you see, they knew all the right stuff. They knew all the things you were supposed to do according to the Old Testament, but it made them unable to hear what Jesus was actually saying. So the context, again, Jesus is doing ministry. A large crowd has gathered in this following him from town to town. And the, the disciples are getting a little freaked out by it. And so they say, hey, let's go. And he retreats back to his home, right? But the crowd follows him. The crowd's following him and they're trying to ask him questions. They're trying to be a part of what he's saying and what they're doing. And these scribes just kind of show up with the crowd. They come down to investigate. And it's interesting here, if you catch it, if you look down at verse uh, 23, and he, meaning Jesus, called to them and said to them in parables. So it wasn't that the, scri that the scribes were going directly to Jesus to challenge him. They were talking to everybody else in the crowd. Hey, listen, here's what's, here's what's really going on. Jesus is performing these miracles and these healings and casting out demons, but guess what? He's doing that because he is a demon. He's doing that by the power of Satan. He's doing this with demonic influence and with demonic powers. So these scribes are just kind of talking in the crowd and they're saying all these things. And Jesus eloquently just simply says, hey, come here. Let me talk to you for a second. I really wish we had tone in the Bible, right? Like I wish we could hear the tone of Jesus as he's speaking. I don't know if sarcasm is sinful or not. I'm still wrestling through that theological thing. But what if Jesus had a hint of sarcasm in his, in his conversation? What if he had a, a hint of humor in that conversation? What if he had a hint of anger and frustration, right? What was his tone when he says, hey, come here. You say that I'm casting people out by Beelzebub. How can that really be? Listen, a house cannot stand if it's divided. A kingdom will not stand if it's divided. Right? So when we go to the word of God, sometimes it's okay for you to kind of think about the tone of what you're reading and hearing Jesus say. You don't always have to have it be this angelic, super calm, super thoughtful, very soft-spoken individual speaking these words. Jesus knew exactly what he had to do. And he's calling them out, and he's doing so through very logical means, right? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. 
right? Don't you love all the like college football uh, fan stores that have like, let's pick on Michigan. Michigan and Michigan State, a house divided will not stand, right? Does anybody own that? No one owns that? Wow. Okay, I'll keep moving on. This is a tough crowd. Um, Right, but we see this stuff all over the place. And Jesus is just trying to use logic with the scribes. Hey, stop and think about what you're actually saying. Stop and think about it for a second. If a house is divided, it's not gonna stand. If a kingdom's divided, it's not gonna stand. If Satan, if I'm being powered by Satan and I'm going and casting out the demons of Satan, Satan's obviously coming to an end. Do you guys not see the issue here? Because again, all of these religious experts, they knew everything, but they missed everything. They knew everything about the law, they knew everything about God, but they completely missed God. Do you think that happens today with us? Do you think that maybe we know so much about Jesus, we know so much about following him, we know so much about what it is to live a Christian life that we actually miss living with Jesus. We check all the boxes. We go to church, we tithe, we're nice to people. We listen to okay music, we eat Chick-fil-A. Like we do all of these things to where people would look and say, hey, they really know all the, they know all the right things about following Jesus. They're totally there. But in reality, we've completely missed it. Maybe you've heard this, this saying, um, following Jesus, it's not about religion, it's about a relationship. Or maybe you've heard it said, following Jesus is not about rules, but it's about that relationship. Right? Why do we like rules? Why do we like guidelines? People are whispering, it's control. We get to control. We get to know whether or not we're doing good or bad. And it's this drive to say, hey, I'm totally in the know because I'm checking all these boxes, I'm good. Or hey, I'm not hitting the boxes, man, I'm not doing so well, I need to go and adjust those things so I can hit those boxes. Again, having rules and having standards and having guidelines in our life is not a bad thing at all. Don't hear me say that. It's a great thing to have. The rest of the New Testament is filled with this is how you were meant to live as a follower of Jesus. It's in there. But what Jesus is saying is, listen, I am your king. And I want you to be loyal to me. I want you to follow me. I want you to be in this relationship with me. Don't do all these things for me. Be with me. So what Pastor Jim was talking about last, last week, this idea of how are we being with him rather than just doing things for him? How do we just be with Christ? And unfortunately, sometimes for us, our allegiance can get challenged even from the church. Because our ultimate goal here on Sunday mornings is not that you would be a follower of Woodside Bible Church. We want you to be a follower of Jesus. We don't want you to walk around and just only ever talk about Woodside Bible Church. We want you to walk around 
and talk about Jesus. We don't want you to walk around and think, oh, am I living and doing everything in accordance to the standards of Woodside Bible Church? We want you to walk around and think, am I doing everything in accordance to the standard of Jesus? Because he's our king. And that's where our ultimate allegiance should be. Now, I know some of you may be thinking in the back of your mind, ooh, is he going to cover verses 28 through 29? The really fun one about here's the unforgivable sin, right? Did anybody grow up in church and have this fear? I may have committed the unforgivable sin. Anybody else grow up like that? Just me. Why? You guys are not interactive this morning. Thank you for being honest. All right. So just me, my issues, right? So that's, that's great. Appreciate you guys. Um, this statement that Jesus makes has caused people to question for centuries and millennia. What really is the, un, the unforgivable sin and have I committed it? All right, let's look down here at verse 28. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. We could do a whole series on this. We could do a whole morning just on this, but let me wrap it up in hopefully a nice, neat package for you, okay? To blaspheme the Holy Spirit, look at the context of what Jesus is saying to these scribes and the accusations that the scribes are making against Jesus. They are saying that all of the miracles, that all of the things, all the words that he is saying, all of the healings that he has done, all of the, the essence of who he is, that everything is not of God, that Jesus is not of God, that Jesus is completely opposite, that Jesus is fueled by some demonic power, rather than accepting and believing that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is of God, that Jesus is God, and that all of the things that he is doing is of the Lord. So to blaspheme the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that you're taking the Lord's name in vain, okay? Don't start taking the Lord's name in vain because you feel like, oh, I'm free now. I can do that, right? It's not that. It's recognizing the things that Jesus is doing, that the Holy Spirit is doing, and you saying, that's not of Jesus, that's of Satan. That's not of him. That's of the enemy. Or that can't be God, that's just mother nature and earth. That can't be Jesus, that's gotta be some other prophet, some other thing. It's the denial of Jesus, it's the denial of who he is, it's the denial that the things that he is doing is actually him. And it's consistent. I was looking at some uh, scholars on this and that's kind of a common thing that a lot of these men were coming to the conclusion of is that this is something that's consistent and pervasive in a person's life where they are actively saying no to what Jesus is showing to them, okay? So if you wanna talk about that tomorrow at the water cooler, be my guest. But what Jesus again is trying to do, attribute to me what is actually mine. Do not try to say that what I do 
is of Satan. And these were the lies, these were the things that the scribes were trying to just create a new buzz about in all of these large crowds that are trying to follow Jesus. And Jesus ultimately is saying, hey, follow me, listen to me, put your full allegiance and trust and loyalty in me. Now, the next thing that he says um, is the sandwich part, right? This is the bread part. So let's jump back up to verse 20. So Jesus went home, the crowd gathered there again so that he could not even eat. That's a lot of people apparently, right? So he couldn't even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him for they were saying, he is out of his mind. Jump down to verse 31. And his mothers and brothers came and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, your mother and brothers are outside seeking you. And Jesus answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? Now looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. What we see Jesus do is he's compelling people to kind of reorient their family loyalties. Reorient their family loyalties. Again, if you grew up in church, maybe you grew up in uh, a church that was a little bit more um, fundamental, right? Family, this idea of family loyalty, you don't really ever talk about it because it's expected. Family is everything and family is all. And family is what should always be the driving force in your life. If you're feeling a little uncomfortable and concerned about where I'm going with this, you're in a good spot emotionally right now. Because Jesus is wanting us to kind of wrestle with this reality. Where's our allegiance? Where does our loyalty lie? Okay. And he goes on, or let's think about the context, right? Jesus is doing ministry. He's trying to do these things. His family, out of concern and love for him, hear about this massive crowd of people surrounding him and they're concerned that he's not eating. They're concerned about his safety. And so they say, hey, we need to go and seize him, meaning we need to go and grab him and take him, right? Because why? He is out of his mind. How many parents have ever said that about their children? Somebody raise your hand. Thank you. <laughs> Praise God. Amen, right? We all have those moments where we see our family members and we're like, you are out of your mind. What are you doing? Right? And that emotion, that, em that emphasis, the emphatic response is usually out of a place of concern and love to say, we care about you. What is going on? Right? And then look down at verse 31, 32, right? They can't even get to him. They're not even physically able to get to him. But they start saying, hey, we're here. We need Jesus. Hey, we're here. Tell Jesus we're here. We need to pull him out. He needs to come with us. And the crowd is saying this to Jesus, and he responds in this way. So the question we have to ask ourselves, is Jesus against family? No. Jesus is not against your family. Okay? All you have to do is read the rest of Jesus' life. Right? He cares for his family deeply. He cares for his mother deeply. He cares for his brothers deeply. He's hanging on the cross and he's telling his disciples, take care of my mother. 
take care of her, provide for her. All throughout Matthew and also in Luke, you see him constantly talk about his mother. You see other instances where his brothers are mentioned. You see his brothers talk about him in some of their letters, like in Jude and James. And, he's saying, and they are saying we are, they don't lead off by saying we're the brothers of Christ. You better listen to us. They're simply saying, hey, we're a bondservant of Jesus. We love him. We follow him. And what Jesus is trying to get at here is not, hey, break ties with your families if you want to follow me. But what he is saying is be willing to break ties with your family to follow me. This is something that our culture does not really like. It's family first. Family rules all. Family is the epitome of all things, right? How do you know if all of your allegiance ultimately is first in your family and then in Jesus? Well, it's really simple. Look at your time. Look at your investments. Look at your decision-making. What's the filter? Hey, I know that we can go and do this, but if we do this, this is going to take us away from being with the people of God. Or, hey, I know I can do this, but if I do this, this is going to require me to sacrifice my time with Jesus. Because I have to get up even earlier and I have to grind all that much longer. And it's going to be a detriment to my relationship and my walk with him. What Jesus is trying to convey and what, the, what we have to wrestle with is what's on our pedestal? Is it allegiance to Jesus? Or is it allegiance to something else? Right? You can step on some toes. He doesn't talk about this. But is our allegiance all geared in our patriotism more than it's geared in him? Do we make decisions based off of the country where we live rather than based off of what Jesus may be calling us to? Are we more aligned and loyal to a political party or structure than we are to him? Are we more aligned to our leisure and entertainment than we are to him. A lot of people were asking us back in the dark days three years ago. Two people caught that one. Hey, why do you keep telling us to come to church? Like, why? Like, it's not a big deal. Like, I watch online, like, it's totally fine. If you're watching online, thank you for being with us. Um... Why is it important? It's important because of what Jesus says right here. What does he say? Here are my mother and my brothers for whoever does the will of God. If you're here and you're following Jesus in your life, you're redeemed, you're saved, you're a Christ follower, you're a Christian, come and be with your spiritual family. Maybe, again, you grew up in a church where you greeted everybody saying, hey, brother Henry, hey, sister Clarine, whatever, right? Please don't start calling us brother Jim and brother Alex. Um, but, like, that's where this comes from, is that in Jesus, all of us are family if we're followers of him. All of us have this common love and this common uh, binding to each other, and it's Jesus, which is why we treat each other, hopefully, like family. 
I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to love on you. I'm going to support you. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to get annoyed with you. I'm going to ask for forgiveness from you. I'm going to bless you, not because of anything you've done, but simply because I love you and I care about you. Folks, that's what the church is meant to look like. The church is meant to be this active, living, vibrant thing, not a TED talk, not a lecture hall where you come and you hear some good things. You're like, oh, that's really good. That's cool. Sweet. All right. All right. Peace out. I'll see you next week. Being the church, being the body of believers is meant to be this family, this spiritual family. We're all connected by Jesus and we all have a shared mission. And the shared mission is go, therefore, make disciples. Tell people everything I've taught you already. And remember, I'm going to be with you to the very end of the day. So Jesus is calling us to be willing to reorient our family loyalty if we place our family above our relationship and our obedience to him. There's a famous writer, uh, theologian, scholar, C.S. Lewis. Most of y'all have heard about C.S. Lewis. And uh, something that he loved to do, I think his first name was Clive. Something that Clive uh, or Mr. Lewis liked to do, uh, he liked he was into apologetics. He enjoyed the opportunity to argue for the faith. Not argue like in a mean, hateful, vindictive way, but to say, hey, let's think through reason, let's think through logic, and let's see why my belief in Jesus is better than your belief in whatever else it is. And he came up with this phrase, on this set of questions. Is Jesus a liar, a lunatic, or Lord? And a lot of scholars today believe that Mr. Lewis got that phrase from reading Mark chapter 3. Is he a lunatic? That's what the scribes and the Pharisees said. He's got to be crazy, right? Kind of what his family said, he, there's something wrong with him. He's, he is out of his mind, right? Is he a liar? Is he really the son of God? Did he really exist? Did he really do the things that are recorded in the scriptures that he did? And what Mr. Lewis does is he says, obviously the answer, is he a lunatic? The answer is no. Is he a liar? Obviously the answer is no. Is he Lord? Then the obvious answer is yes. So because he is Lord, what does your life look like in light of that? If someone were to examine your life, someone were to see you, would they know that woman, that man, they see Jesus as Lord? We see it in the way that they live their life. We see it in the way that they, their priorities in their life. We see it in the speech that comes out of their mouth. We see it in the way that they treat others around them. We see all these defining factors that person really does believe that Jesus is Lord. And because Jesus is king, because he does rule over us, he is so deserving of our allegiance, of our loyalty towards him above everything else in the world. 
including our family. So the question you have to ask yourself is, how am I doing in that? Am I putting things above him? Am I saying, yeah, Jesus, I, you are my Lord and my Savior. I'm still holding on to this over here, though, because I'm not quite ready to let that go. Or, yes, Jesus, I see that what you say is true. I believe in the things that you say. I totally, yes, I agree with you, but I'm still going to do my way over here. We've got to ask ourselves those questions. And it's not just a one-time thing. And when you're in community with brothers and sisters in Christ, guess what they get to do with you and for you? Hey, I see some things going on in your life that make me concerned. I just want to ask, how are you doing? How's that thing going? What does the Lord say about this right now? How are you seeking the Lord in this? And we do that with love. We do that with encouragement. We do that from a place of all of us are bound together because of our faith in Jesus. And all of us have a mission to tell others that the kingdom of God is here. And his name is Jesus. Do you want to get to know him? So let's pray. Father, I thank you that we get to look at the story in the life of your son and we get to hear the things that he instructed us in. We get to study the things that he challenges us in. And we're not always gonna get it right. But thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for convicting us and showing us areas in our life where maybe we put things above a relationship with you. And maybe they're good things. Would you just help us to make sense of what it looks like to be totally loyal to you in every aspect of our life? And we're grateful that you do have mercy and you do have forgiveness and that you know us so well that you provided for us brothers and sisters in Christ to walk alongside of us, to help us, to encourage us, to challenge us. So God, we're grateful for your church. We're grateful for the community that you seek to build so that others may come to know this good news. So God, as you're speaking to and working in the hearts and minds of people here this morning, would you just encourage them? Would you just comfort them and remind them that you're king and that you love us so much? Thank you for this morning to keep our eyes on you. Pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.